If you love deeply, your heart's going to be broken inevitably at some point in your life. Open your Bibles in front of you to Colossians chapter 3. Starting in verse 12, it's a short little book that we've been spending a good amount of time in this summer. Verse 12 says this, give you a moment still. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we do give you thanks. Let all that we do be unto you and through you and by your strength. Amen. Um, I'm sitting on a stool, which is supposed to help you kind of even if you don't know this, you're already feeling, is this a letter Sunday? No, I don't have a letter. I'm not, I don't have that much forethought. Uh, Stephen will write out a nice articulate letter in just a few weeks, really. It's about a month away. Yeah, it's coming up. Stephen's fifth anniversary. This is right around my fourth anniversary, and I'm leaving. I don't know. I actually don't know what date it was, probably in June or something. Uh, but uh, here we are. Um, I expect to see you again, but I don't know if I'll preach here for a while, and so I'm really, really honored that you've given me the opportunity uh, to hopefully have the the words of the Lord flow through me. And um, the first words that I want to say are thank you. Thank you for four phenomenal years. Uh, We've grown and developed. Literally, uh, Jace was born into this congregation. Ellie was just tiny. Now she's still tiny. And... um, It's just been wonderful, so thank you. You're going to get not a glimpse into, excuse me, my my office letter writing space, but you are going to get a glimpse into what we do every week, Thursday rehearsals with the band, which is uh, something you've already begun experiencing a little bit because we read the text. We usually read it multiple times. You've heard Colossians 3, 12 through 17 now something like three times this service. And we just keep reading it because it doesn't get old. 
and we go around and we do a really, really simplified, modified version of what's called Lectio Divina that you've probably done in the past. Um, I'll hold on to this, which is, which is basically uh, praying and asking the Spirit of the Lord to highlight certain phrases, certain things, certain words. <clears throat> and so I just ask everybody as we sit in a circle, sometimes on the floor, uh, sometimes out in the new reach-out center, all over the place. We move around. What did you hear? What did you hear? And one of the reasons we do that is because of a core conviction of mine that God has nominated each and every one of us both to receive his word and to speak his word, that we are altogether a kingdom of priests, that there isn't really a hierarchy, that even though I'm being ordained for a specific role, that doesn't place me in any way above any of you to know God's love, to share God's love, to preach God's kingdom, all everything. And that's a huge deal. And so I, uh, I hope you listened carefully to the voices that have been spoken already. And I hope to share with you uh, in this little glimpse a little bit of what I do, which is basically offer some really simple ideas and kind of ramble on about them for a while and uh, appreciate the bored head nods of everybody in the circle of rehearsal. It's great. But I do believe that the gospel is true and is simple. So we're going to hear it, hopefully in a true and a simple form. Verse 12a. Therefore, as God's chosen people. There's three main ideas you'll hear today. This is the first one. God is alive. Could there be a more simple idea? I grew up... And I say this because I, I don't want you to miss out on this, that maybe this is you or maybe this is your neighbor or maybe this is uh, a person who you haven't met yet who's going to come. I grew up in the church believing in God, and yet I don't know if I could say that I actually believed that God was real. You know the difference? Are you familiar with the idea of taking something to its logical conclusion? <laughs> right? And so if... Premise A is true, then premise B must also be true, right? I believed premise A that in God, generically, but that never led to premise B or C or D or E or F or G or all the way down the line. And it wasn't until I was met uh, by some people who had experienced the very real and tangible and present power of God. In my case, it was through the miraculous uh, healings, through miraculous healings. I saw God at work in the world, present day, and right in front of me and then all around. And and Jesus tells his disciples, he says, uh, blessed are those who do not see and yet still believe, right? But also, Thomas, blessed are you who had to see. I had to see. I didn't have enough faith to not see first. But I saw God active in the world, and all of a sudden it clicked in me like, wait a second. If Jesus is who he says he is, if God is actually real, everything changes. And so I don't want to assume this morning, just because you're in church, that you believe God is real. But I'm telling you, he is. And in this little short phrase right here, therefore, as God's chosen people we see something remarkable, that God is not 
distant or non-existent, but he is active, that he's making choices, that he's deliberating, that he's working. And that he picked you. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Also, don't want to assume that you know that you're loved. On the one hand, they go together, because if God isn't real, then how could he love you? (laughs) But the deepest truth, the most fundamental thing, is that God is real, God is alive, God is powerful, and that God loves you. Not just generically. Some of us think, okay, yeah, of course God loves me, like that dad who left when he was young and then shows up at the baseball game when you're 14 and he wants to kind of be seen with you now that you're cool, and he comes, oh, son, I love you. And you're like, yeah, of course you do. No, God loves you. God loves, loves, loves you. And he seeks after you, and he chooses you. He chose you. The gospel couldn't be (laughs) couldn't be simpler. That's it. It reminds me of a song. I didn't know really the love of God until I was about 18 years old, just 18. Um, And the the Lord met me in a really profound and powerful way, like I know he's met many of you. And it was about as simple as what I'm saying. I just, I heard that he loved me, and for whatever reason, that was the day that it stuck, that it bore itself deep into my heart. And my response uh, became just that I wanted to love God back. And in this process, I learned of a song, and this song became really, really important to me. And I need a capo, because love doesn't mean you don't make mistakes. like a hurricane I am a tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy 
When all of a sudden I'm unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory And I realize just how beautiful you are and how great your affections are for me And oh, how he loves us oh, oh, how he loves us how he loves us so. One of the great things about this song is that it's just four chords. This one is called uh, G or B flat technically, and then you go to an E minor, and then you go to a D right here, and then you go to a C. And so I uh, spent a lot of time listening to hard rock growing up, but. Like that sort of stuff. And now I'm here, an 18-year-old kid, sitting in a, in a little prayer room, right? And I just play these four chords. These are the first four I ever learned for legitimately like an hour and a half straight. And you sing it over and over again, and it never gets old. Yeah, he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Everything else seems to kind of become less important. Therefore, <clears throat> as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. I don't want to assume, but I want to tell you it's true that God is alive and God is real and God is active and God has chosen you and called you. I don't want to assume, but I do want to tell you that God loves you, specifically, individually, and corporately, all together. And I also don't want to assume that you actually know that you're forgiven. Because it's really easy to come to this realization that, yeah, God is real, or at least probably, and yeah, God loves me, or at least he says he does, but the gospel couldn't be more simple. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, God sending his very own son, you have been forgiven. And in the tradition that, that we're all a part of, the Reformed Church, we rightfully I think, have an emphasis on sin. Stephen and I were talking about this just recently this week. There's every single Sunday we have a time designated to confession and assurance where we ideally confess our sins. But I also know from experience and from paying attention that sometimes we don't believe the assurance part. 
And then sometimes we don't take seriously even the sin part. So there's kind of two ways to go. Some of us think, well, yeah, everybody's a sinner, but I'm like kind of better than a lot of people, so it's fine. Or everybody's a sinner, so it's always going to be that way, so it doesn't really matter. No, I want to tell you, you're a sinner. You've been a sinner. You've actively sinned against God. Yet God has chosen you and called you holy, like Sarah talked about. How unreal. And you're forgiven. All of the stuff that you've done, all of the stuff that you've thought will not be held against you. It will not, because it was already held against Jesus Christ on the cross. You're forgiven. And I have to believe that once you receive that forgiveness, forgiving another will be easy. Once in the light of the love and the holiness of God, you see what has been given to you, forgiveness to others will come. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Scott talked about this passage a little bit. And there's... A really interesting little thing he's doing, and so he's using the analogy of clothing to put on love, which is a lot fancier than what he actually feels like. So I've tricked you today by wearing a fancy jacket, but if I take my jacket off, I'm literally in jeans and a t-shirt, which is not stage appropriate, right? It's inappropriate. I don't know if it actually is, but play with me for here. 
And I decided this morning, I'm going to put on love because that's more appropriate for an ordination service. Because that's more appropriate for preaching in front of God's beloved, in front of God's chosen people. Stephen talked about this eloquently last week, so I don't need to, to keep musing on about it. But by being chosen, sure, that doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect forever. There's always going to be grace, but it does mean that there is something important and specific that you are called to. You are chosen not just so that you can be zipped up into heaven, but for a purpose here and now and into eternity. And so if I am, uh, here's an example. Anyone play sports? I like to play sports. I use sports analogies. Zach, yes. All right. Who was drafted number one overall in the NBA draft this year? Zion Williamson, is he NBA ready? You're not sure, are you? If he thought he was NBA ready already and just kind of kept on doing the same sort of stuff, would he be NBA ready? Maybe close because he's kind of a phenomenon. Here's the point. In sports world, right, you're drafted, you're chosen, you're picked up, and then you get to work. You get to the gym, you get to the court, you get to the pool, whatever your sport is, and you work. And you put on your suit, you put on your uniform, and you put on some sweat on your skin every day practicing your free throws or your shots or these sorts of things, and you actually develop into the thing that you were chosen for. You don't just wake up, right? And the reality is both in the Scriptures, that when you are forgiven by Christ, you are deemed holy and perfect, Completely, holy, perfect, made new, a new creation. And yet, every morning, you get to choose, what am I going to wear today? And like Stephen said, am I going to put on the clothes for a job that is below me, griping, grumbling, cynical, gossiping, etc.? Or am I going to put on love today? Am I going to clothe myself in compassion, whether or not I feel like it, but because it's the truth? because it's good, because God didn't choose me just for my own sake, but for the sake of my neighbor. And I want to talk a little bit about this idea of love and this idea of choosing to put it on. And I want to ask, because I've lived most of my life again, able to say, oh, yes, I'm a Christian, I go to church, I love my family, Thumbs up. And I don't want to assume that you think any different, but I do want to know that I learned that that was a not inadequate way of thinking. Jesus says, what good is it to love those who love you? What good is it? Even the sinners do that. And I think for me, the temptation has been to love not the life that God has chosen me to live, but my own way of life. And because I'm loving something, then I think I'm in the love and the choosing that God has chosen me for, that I've put on that appropriate type of love. Are you tracking with me? So I want to ask you the question, are you more in love <clears throat> with your way of life or with Jesus Christ and with his gospel? And some questions that aren't like, uh, these are not questions that enact a judgment against you, but they're questions that help me think about it. If, if I was given a week to live, 
would I say, oh, man, bummer news. I'm going to spend it on my boat with my family and those who I love. Or am I going to say, I only have a week to live. God's made me with a purpose. There's eternality, eternity, the eternal life of things and of people, of God's gospel at stake. I'm going to commit myself to the service of this, even unto death. And I know I'm usually over here. I know it because I live it most of the time because I'm saying in the morning, well, what do I want to eat for breakfast? And then I eat it. And then I'm saying, well, who likes me? And I go and I spend time with them. And Jesus says, love your enemies. Jesus says, go, not with multiple cars like Brittany and I own, not with a house that we're going to move. Go to his disciples when he sends the 72 out with a single cloak, not an extra one, not a purse, and proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is near. And it's not an answer to how to do it, but maybe it's a prompt for you to think about. Are you more in love with your way of life or with Jesus Christ? Because we often treat, as a, as a home buyer, Jesus just like an insurance agent, right? Where I get my things that I bought, that I earned, and if I buy the Jesus policy, then I get to, even if I die, kind of keep them in even better things when I get to heaven. It's great, but Jesus came as a groom to find a bride to love. Jesus came to love. At the beginning, it was love. It was out of love that God sent his son in the first place. And the way that we walk is love. And the end result is love, not the way of life that we've found ourselves living in this world. Not complex, really simple, really hard. How do we do it? Can we get the lyrics to this song on the screen? Let's sing this together again. This is called For the One. Let me be filled with kindness and compassion for the one The one for whom you loved and gave your son For humanity increase my love Help me to love with open arms like you do Love that erases all the lines and sees the truth. Oh, that when they look in my eyes, they would see you. Even in just a smile, they 
would feel the Father's love to the bridge. Let all my life. And let all my life tell of who you are. And the wonder of your never-ending love. Oh, let all my life tell of who you are. You are wonderful and such a good father. You're wonderful. You are wonderful and such a good father. So help me to love with open arms like you do. A love that erases all the lines and sees the truth. Oh, that when they look in my eyes, they would see you. Even in just a smile, they would feel the Father's love. But you'll find out as you seek love as we saw right here just moments ago in the mystery box, that it can be costly, that it can be painful. Uh, Jean Osink showed her love last week by spending something close to 75 hours, maybe more, in the kitchen. She would never say it was costly, but it was. That wasn't a thing that hurt her physically. That wasn't a thing that just cost her time-wise and monetarily. The great example of love here is that Jesus laid his life on the cross and Love is going to be costly, and the question of why and how do I do this is going to kind of continue up, uh, continue to come up in your mind as you seek to live into this love that you've received, being loved by God. And an outsider is going to ask, well, how and why would you do this at all? Like, like how do you come up with the boldness, with the courage to love your enemy? Because it doesn't make much sense to love a person who is your enemy, especially when loving your enemy doesn't actually result in them becoming your friend, which you'll find out is often the case, right? At least in your lifetime. And the answer is, again, as simple as it could be, it's by faith. Faith is the key that it will open up love in your life. And so my prayer for you is that you would grow and strengthen in faith. I would read Psalm 49 for us, but we're going to run out of time too quickly. But I do want to point out that Jesus gives the Sermon on the Mount. In Luke, it's a different, but uh, similar to Matthew 5 through 7. And right smack dab in the middle, as if everything hinges on it, there's all of these lessons about morality and about the right way to live and about who is first and last in the kingdom of God. And then Jesus kind of stops, as if looking out at the crowds and seeing them like, oh, man, that sounds hard to do. And he says, but don't worry. Do not worry. You see all the lilies of the field dressed even more beautifully than a bride on her wedding day, and they're taken care of. All the birds of the air, plenty full. Do not worry. So another simple idea, the last one. Have faith. So here's the best, day, best news in the world. Let me read the rest of the passage, then I'll get to my summary of the best news in the world. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other 
And forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. The best news in the world. You ready? God is alive. He's not dead, and he's chosen you. He calls you holy, forgiven, and dearly, dearly loved, and you needn't worry about anything. You have actually been set free, even, dare I say, empowered to forgive the person you're holding a grudge against and to love both those who love you back and your enemies. And you can even love God himself. Just because you can't see him, you can love him exuberantly. You can love your neighbor extravagantly and you don't need to worry. You don't need to worry about yourself because your life is hidden with God and maybe even more remarkably, you don't need to worry if your love is enough because love itself is the goal. Love was the beginning, is the way, and is the end because God is love and so if you love at all, you've already succeeded. Love never fails. Love the one in front of you Don't aim for results and sacrifice loving the one in front of you because God's word and God's love never fail and so you too can never fail. And so what do we do? Open your Bibles to Colossians chapter three, verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you are called to peace. And what do we do? And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And let our first act in the name of the Lord Jesus after this sermon today be to come to this table to feel the real presence of God with you by his Holy Spirit, to see and taste the love of God for you, and to go bearing his own body in your going. Let's pray together. Father, every day open our eyes to see your love, to see your truth, to see your power, to know that we are fully and wholly forgiven and to walk in the righteousness and the holiness that you've called us to. Let us love you even more than our own lives for the sake of your gospel and your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.